You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. There I am, you know, really a thorn in their side. They know I'm going to try to ask the tough questions. I say, Mr. President, and I say, thank you. What more do they want? Renowned White House correspondent Helen Thomas. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, at most news organizations, the White House beat is considered a coveted plum assignment. But it's a difficult and stressful and demanding and highly competitive position, and most White House correspondents last just a few years at best. But one exception was Helen Thomas, correspondent for UPI, who covered the White House for over 50 years, every president from Kennedy to Obama. I met her in 1999, when, at the age of 79, she wrote a memoir called Front Row at the White House. So here now, from 1999, Helen Thomas. I've spoken a lot on, on college campuses and other places and so forth through the years, and I'm always shocked when people say, well, what about you? How did you get started in journalism? Wasn't it a tough time for women and so forth? So then I, I decided that the time had come to, what about me? You know, it sounds very egoistic, but I thought, well, you better lay down some kind of record. But I've never filed anything in my life. I had dropped pieces of paper in barrels and boxes, and uh, I still haven't filed anything, but I did rally the family and friends to say, if it says Kennedy, put it in this folder. If it says Johnson, and that kind of filing. And uh, so I wrote on weekends, and uh, I had to delay, I have to admit, I had to delay the deadline, kept delaying it till I found out, could find out what was going to happen to President Clinton. I didn't want to close the book without at least knowing the ending. Well, we should point out, and you intended this not as an historical tome of, of all no. the policy decisions over the years. That's just, that's for other people to write. Just my personal observations as uh, the little match girl with my nose <laughs> against the window pane, that every once in a while you got insights. And uh, I suppose it could be criticized for that, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't presume. In our business, we can never assume. So I... As to what they're thinking, I would like to know. But, but you know, here's the thing. When, when somebody sits down with a book and they want to be entertained, they want to be told a great story, they don't want to sit down with a book from a psychologist or a historian. They sit down with a storyteller. Right. And, you know, we always, uh, lately, we've been forced into the quantum leap of speculating as to motives, speculating. And, and that's almost the first lesson of journalism. You really... And as for sensationalizing the news, I said, what could be more sensational than the reality, the truth? <laughs> it, it, it is difficult to sometimes overcome that. Fiction writers have a great deal of problem with that these days. On, on day one of, of your tenure at the White House, how long did you figure you'd be on the beat? I never thought, I mean, in, in news, you, you think day to day. I knew that news would never break on my time that there's never a day without news without as long as people are on this planet. And so, I mean, I didn't project in that way. I knew I loved my work. I loved the beat. Uh, I felt that I was covering history every day. The things we covered today, yesterday, tomorrow, will be in the history books. And you've been at 
the front row uh, for for some of the most historic, some of the most memorable events of our century. I've been very lucky from that aspect. Well, you've seen, you've seen, you've seen triumph, great triumph. You've seen tragedy, great horrible tragedy, and everything in between, and everybody right. in between. Right. I, I, uh, my total expertise on John F. Kennedy Jr. was from the day he was born, and even the day before he was born. Until he was three years old, so suddenly I became the great expert. This is a book filled with with the most fascinating personalities, the people that we see every day on the news, who have these wonderful personalities, senses of humor, and are are great in many cases, very warm people. Personally, when you're when you're not when the cameras aren't rolling, when the notepads aren't out, it's a saving grace to have a sense of humor for these politicians, <laughs> especially. Press is a lot tougher the second term. It's reached the point I sometimes call on Helen Thomas just to hear a friendly voice. You tell great stories in here from, from all the, the, the Gridiron Club and the, and the White House Correspondence Dinners. I mean, you, the, the, the book is peppered with stories like that that really add a third dimension to these people's personalities. Well, to me, I, I mean, I, I want to laugh, and I honestly do think that uh, a lot of people miss something in the translation when they really look at these people because a lot of them don't loosen up enough on public. <laughs> you, once in a while you catch them, catch that glimpse. Now, you, you said in the book that you, you are in awe of the presidency, but not necessarily the president. It's true. Can I turn that around a little bit and ask you, if it, would it be accurate to say that in general, because you also say that in general the presidents really don't care much for the press? Hate the press. I mean, yeah. Let's don't uh, <laughs> moderate it. <laughs> but, but would it be accurate to say they, they they hate the press, but they sure like individual members of the press. They sure seem to like you. Oh no, absolutely not. I mean, there I am. You know, really a thorn in their side. They know I'm going to try to ask the tough questions, which you have to do. But I hope always with some courtesy. I say, Mr. President, and I say, thank you. What more do they want? My question is, why did you really want to go to war? When are you going to get out of uh, Afghanistan? Will your policy toward Iran be one of revenge or reconciliation? Would you be willing to waive executive privilege to give the Judiciary Committee what it says it needs to end any question of your involvement in Watergate? See, they like the press on the campaign trail because they need them. But once they get into the White House, the Iron Curtain comes down, and then the walls within walls, information I think belongs in the public domain, becomes their private preserve. And everybody, the the image makers move in. Uh, The president should put his best foot forward only when he has good news, hold a news conference only when he has good news, go underground when he's in a scandal or, or near one or... Hunker down. Hunker down is the word, right? Phrase. Well, has well, the world has changed so much, and the media has changed so much since 1961. Has the White House become a more paranoid place? It isn't that. It's just that we're all on camera. Everybody's wired. I could write for a newspaper for 50 years, and no one would uh, know me but my fa- my byline, my family, friends, and they would use a picture of me taken when I was. 20 years old, which is very nice. But TV is is all present, and it's made all journalists sort of recognizable. But also, that is the medium, you know. Cable moved in on uh, the White House now 24 hours, and they catch you coming and going, whether you know anything or not, just to fill in the time. 
No, but uh, there's no question that president is, would be wise to go on TV. You can reach 60 million people if you have to. After this short break, Helen Thomas reveals the tactics some presidents use to purposely make the press look bad. Now back to my 1999 interview with Helen Thomas. Now you mentioned in the book that, that when you were in the movie Dave a couple of years ago, the, the couple minutes that you had, you suddenly were famous. I got more mileage out of that movie than working 50 years. <laughs> it's really true. Didn't I see you on Dave, some little kid on the street? Hey, I, you know, I must say that my ego swelled. <laughs> Well, I see. Now you've you've opened up something because it occurred to me as I was reading your book, I could never be. I don't think I could honestly ever be. I mean, journalistically, I know I could write a story as well as probably half the people over there. But I want too much to be liked to be a good correspondent. Oh no, heck no! You can't be liked. How can you be liked? And and you know you're zeroing in on these people. What I I. Th what I think a reporter sh should always, though, deeply consider is that we can ruin lives and reputations, and that should never be done with, I know this sounds so pious, but it should never be done without thinking, did they abuse their public responsibilities to that extent? It, it, I, I can imagine that it must feel to a politician kind of unfair when he's got a visiting head of state, sits down for a photo op, and suddenly... A Helen or a Sam or somebody from the gallery pipes up with a question about Monica Lewinsky. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Well, they arranged that deliberately, thinking that they could really make us look bad in public eyes. So we, we basically decided, not in collusion, but each one decided, this is the question of the day, and I don't care where it is. And they have deliberately staged a news conference with a foreign leader you know, to make us look bad in, in public. They admitted, Clinton admitted it himself. So, but we, we went ahead, we asked the questions that had to be asked. Here's a man who was on the ropes. He's the president of the United States. He could have been removed from office, and that was the story of the day. Is there anything that, that could still surprise you at this point, or have you seen everything? No, every day I'm surprised at the life itself, actually, what it brings. No, I... I think you always have to have that tremendous sense of curiosity as a reporter. You, you opened one of the chapters with someone apparently had asked you at one point if you had faced any particular challenges when you came into the business as a woman. And, and your reply, response was, something: are you from Mars? <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, I, will, I will not be so foolish as to ask a question like that. But let me ask you this. Are you facing obstacles today because of your age that remind you of obstacles you faced once because of your gender? Of course, because it isn't the obstacles. I mean, I I have not framed the proper answer yet as to uh, why I'm still working, because I feel like I get into a defensive mode when people say, people, they ask it in the most unique and wonderful ways, but basically is it amounts to when are you going to retire? And uh, I say never. I said I'll always work as long as I can, as long as I live. I, I'd want to be involved. I mean, that's what really keeps you alive. Age is an, an attitude, someone once said, and I like that. But the thing is, that's a question you get all the time. Because we have stereotypes in our lives that uh, if you reach a certain senior position, you are supposed to bow out mm -hmm. of the human race 
or, or be put out to pasture or something. But if you still feel that you can be active, make a contribution, stay where you are, why not? Still, still, you are on the defense. <laughs> well, but but absolutely, why not? There, there's no particular rule says you have to accept. I mean, they that. asked a Nobel Prize winner how long she was going to keep at it. She died at the age of ninety-four, and she said, "As long as I can do it." And she really kept her experimenting, and <laughs> the they one? don't ask the Supreme Court justices or the senators. <laughs> Maybe I'll become a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> Thank goodness for Strom Thurmond that they don't. <laughs> I, I was curious about something else, though. And, I, and as we were talking before the interview, I've been in the business about 26 years, which is not a very long time by Helen Thomas standards. But the one thing I have noticed about the media is it is more cutthroat than even politics can be sometimes. I'm just curious how you've survived all these years under various bosses and owners at UPI. Hasn't, hasn't some young whippersnapper come along and said, Helen, we think it's time for you to move to the agriculture department beat? If they have, they haven't told me yet. <laughs> Maybe they're afraid to. <laughs> no, I think that I have enough dedication that um, so far I have not been asked to leave the premises, but uh, I know that, you know, there's such an accent on, on youth in our country. At the age of 40, someone applying for a job, sometimes it's told they're too old, so I'm beyond that, but uh, I just think that everybody should do what they can do and should pursue their careers and do whatever, as long as they feel they can and uh, as long as there's some luck around to be able to. So it's very, very difficult to take people off the stereotype. Beyond what you've put in this book, is there any story that you've been dying to tell and you've never had the public opportunity to tell it? Not really. I mean, I usually write what I know. I would like to know who Deep Throat was, and if I knew, I would have written it. A few other things. Of course, there are secrets always. What astounds you really is that the White House, or the State Department, that is, will reveal in a white paper, like 50 years later, what actually happened. And you, you flip out because you think, well, why didn't the American people know that? So I don't believe in the story and everything in the archives. Well, I, and I'm sorry that Jacqueline Kennedy locked up her her great interviews for 50, 100 years. Because I think that it, knowledge is knowledge. And the more we know, the better off we are, the better informed we are. It's, uh, but that's the reporter in me. I really, I mean, like today, not tomorrow, not <laughs> yesterday, but today. It must be fascinating though, when a book comes out now in the 90s about the, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example, and they reveal all this information. It's just, and, and I'm sure from your point of view, you know, well, all right, this is something new. I've seen this, but this is, no, this is wrong. Just, oh, they can always use national security and this business. It's amazing the the amount of secrecy that's so endemic in government, in all levels of government, local and so forth. Secrecy is Somehow, power, isn't it? Well, sec information is golden. It's a weapon, too, for people in, in power of thinking they know something no one else does. But I honestly believe in the better, the better informed people, the better off we are in a democracy. Helen Thomas died in 2013. She was 92. And you can find easy Amazon links to Helen Thomas's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my 1987 interview with another famous thorn in the side of presidents, 
the renowned former ABC White House correspondent Sam Donaldson. You come to think of the television correspondent who's bringing you the bad news in someone's administration who you love as being an enemy. And then oh, he brings you the good news if you hate that person as being a cheerleader for the team. And my 1987 interview with one of the White House press secretaries who often sparred with people like Helen Thomas and Sam Donaldson, former Reagan press secretary Jim Brady. Does it make you self-conscious, all the attention that you get? At times it does. I don't mind it, but you never have a moment to yourself. See that fat guy over there in the wheelchair? Let me tell you his story. And then they're on you like white on rice. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, don't call him a psychic or a fortune teller. He's a mentalist. And he may be one of the most famous mentalists in the world. My 1996 interview with the amazing Kreskin. I'm a showman. I I dramatize what I do. But I I have actually a $50,000 offer that's been well publicized for the years to anyone who can prove I employ paid assistance, confederates. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. (music) 